It's Friday, December 8th, 2017, and you're listening to episode 468 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 46 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Brodor. And this is Wayne. All right, so Brodor, first off, before we get into it, and this is a big one, Fear the Con 11, because it's successfully funded, and I do believe they're going to come back and do some additional funding stuff for anyone who wasn't able to get in on one of the backer levels, wants to kick in on the con. And I know one of the main things that we're going to be trying to do is to catch some of those stretch goals that we didn't hit in the first round because that was kind of short and I know it's kind of close to the holidays. And we've had some people ask, I will get you guys the details as soon as I have them because I'm not the one heading up the funding efforts. So I don't want to tell you it's going to be like this and find out I was wrong. So once I have that, I will pass that information along to you guys. And I do appreciate, by the way, the people that have contacted me since the Kickstarter ended asking how they can still support. It's just I'm the wrong person to ask. So I'm going to get you the right person. What you can do right now is the con planner setup is there now for the convention so if you're not familiar with Con Planner, it's a tool where you can go out, you can create your attendees, create your badges, and start signing up for events, creating games you're going to run, getting in on that good stuff you want to play in. And so I will put a link to the Con Planner site in the show notes. So that's where you're going to want to go to start setting yourself up for the convention. So remember, that's going to be June, I believe, 22nd and 23rd. And this convention, once again... We appreciate everyone who's kicking in on the Kickstarter and the post-Kickstarter fundraising, but there is no ticket price, so all you have to do is get yourself to Brentwood, Missouri, which is a suburb of St. Louis. All right, let's get down to it. Brodor, before we get to our main topic, you had something that confused me when you first said it, because I thought you were talking about a video game. So I, I love toy soldiers, right? I love figs. I love miniatures. So much so that majority of my Christmas list this year are modern-ish era miniatures that I want to get and use and convert for Satanic Panic. Recently in Kansas City, my brother and a group of our friends out there, I ran my first Satanic Panic game, and my brother had some miniatures from one of the, uh, I believe it was the third Reaper Bones Kickstarter, and they had sort of a Cthulhu set, and so we used some of those figs that were quite inspirational. But then it got me to thinking just about how much I love miniature games and I love toy soldiers. And the reason that it pertains to role-playing games is there's a tremendous amount of inspiration for me when I look at a miniature and I think, okay, so what's this guy's story? Where did it come? Where did he come from? Why is, you know, why is, why is he a fighter? Why is he using this two-handed greatsword? But more importantly, when I'm building an encounter, I'll just lay out miniatures and I'll just think about, okay, well, I need an orc sorcerer. So then I can start working, okay, I've got a cool figure to represent that orc sorcerer. And then I'll look over another, oh, I didn't think about even adding a barbarian fighter multi-class, but that miniature's really, really cool. So let me grab that fig and then kind of build stats so, around that toy soldier. All right. So let me back up a little bit here and define a few things we threw out. First of all, what I was referring to with video games is there's a video game series called Toy Soldiers. I know there's an Army Men one. Maybe it's Army Men. That's I'm based on of. the old little green Army. Yeah, men. and they came out with like these toy chest expansions 
where you could play Masters of the Universe, you could play G.I. Joe, you could play Cobra, you could play all kinds of other toy series. I think you could play the Thundercats, or I don't remember what. Oh, don't but, get me started on Thundercats. I know. But they had these toy series from the 1980s that you could play. And I heard it's not a terribly well-executed game. But when you first mentioned it, that was what I thought you were referring to. I'm like, when did you get into this? But <laughs> the, the, the satanic panic thing, for anyone was like, what the heck is satanic panic? The most brilliant role-playing game concept ever. So, total grade A pimp, Jim McClure, all right, who's got his own podcast. You might know him from such podcasts as... <laughs> yeah. Oh, you want me to actually plug it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Talking Tabletop with Jim McClure. Yeah, Talking Tabletop with Jim McClure. And... He created a role-playing game called Satanic Panic that's a comedy deadpan of... In my mind, it's very Evil Dead Army of Darkness. Yeah. It's very horrifying comedy. Exactly. Because it's set within the 1980s under the setup that all of the moral panics surrounding role-playing games in particular about them being gateways to black magic and Satanism and whatever other nonsense is 100% true. And role players really can open their player's handbook and cast magic spells and just all this kind of craziness stuff. And so Brodor and I, we were, I think Wayne Reeves, well, we were all oh, yeah, backers on this when he was setting this up. And so I have not actually played it yet. And in fact, I'm, I'm not big into PDFs, so I'm waiting on the physical media before I start messing with the game. But Broder, you're already running it. Uh, so I'm so enamored with it that I went to drive through RPG and you can get the version one playtest document. It's 105 pages. You can get it absolutely free. So I downloaded that and started running it for a group of guys that I game with in Kansas City every couple of months and started that campaign off. But anyway, it got me thinking about my brother always has these really beautifully painted and well-converted figs at the table, and it just adds an element of depth to the game for me and an opportunity to sort of exercise imagination. So I started going to, you know, cobblestone castings and pulp figures, and the two big ones that I really got a lot of good inspiration for were Heresy Miniatures and Hassle-Free. And hassle-free miniatures inspired me because normally at Fear the Con, I'll run two games. I'll run, you know, one game on a lark and then I'll do my traditional you tell me system. But for Fear the Con 11, I think I'm going to run a third game because hassle-free miniatures has post-apocalyptic Scooby gang. So frickin' Velma with a chainsaw and night vision goggles. And uh, it's got Fred with a katana on his back holding a rifle And so, but they also have an Ash figure. They can't call him Ash because of intellectual property, but they have an Ash fig that you can convert that even comes with the the chainsaw hand. So I want to take Zombicide Black Plague, which is the fantasy version of Zombicide. I want to get the post-apocalyptic Scooby Gang and an Ash figure. That way I'll have exactly six players. And I want to do a hack and slash. We have to get the Necronomicon and Ash and the Scooby gang are going to fight through all of these fantasy zombies to get the Necronomicon and escape. I saw those figures and I thought, well, fuck, man, I mean, Ash and the Scooby gang fighting deadites. That's a no brainer. I have never run a game that used miniatures. I've never done it. And part of it is I don't do miniatures. Because I have no artistic skill, and the whole idea of putting together oh, a model yeah. overwhelms me. I tried a couple times to put together miniatures 
And I quickly found that I had several problems. One, no artistic skill. Two, no patience. Three, and I mentioned this on the show multiple times, my hands have very slight tremors. Not a problem. I like, want miniatures that are already put together. And I'm fine with plastic. Like, I look at things, like, if I were going to do a miniatures game, I would look at something like Hero Clicks to for miniatures because they're already pre-painted, they already look good, and they don't involve any skill of me. So when you talk about hassle-free, to me, hassle-free means <laughs> put together already, already painted, and I can just set it you on know, the table and say, I remember here you go. when I was having one of my brief forays with 40K, I say one of because I had two or three, and... I was trying to put these damn Tyranids together. And I was talking to someone who plays the game, and I'm like, this shit just won't glue together. I mean, in second edition, the figs were much more snapped together and whatever. And I mean, yeah, you had to do some work, but it wasn't like this. And he's like, oh, it's it's real easy. All you got to do is just drill it out and put in pinning and earth magnets and green stuff and this and that and this and that. And I'm like, dude... <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, how long does it take you yeah. to do this? He's like, oh, you know, whatever, I don't remember, what, some absurd amount of time for one fig. And I'm like, and you've got to make yeah. 50, 60, 100 of these to field your army? Can I just use Legos? Bingo, so- yeah, and the answer is no. They will. I know that you can't think They will shit a litter of kittens <laughs> if you bring anything but three-color okay. figs. But anyway, let me say three things about the toy soldiers. One, there are plenty of toy soldier companies that make miniatures that aren't that complicated. Uh-huh. Two, with modern computer-aided design, there are companies like Games Workshop are making miniatures that are much easier to assemble. And three... If you're not a great painter, go to a website called thearmypainter.com and check out what's called the dip method. Anybody can paint miniatures well using their technique. It's it's quite brilliant. I still don't want to assemble or paint. I just I, want it done. I don't, I don't want to open a box and have it done. I don't like to paint. I love to assemble things. I really do enjoy building yeah, miniatures. I'm with you, Wayne. I, I just want to play the game. I don't like the modeling aspect at all. But, brother, let me broaden your point here a little bit because... While figs don't do it for me, because I just don't tend to run that type of game, art does. Yeah, Game art does. I'll sit down with the source book, have no idea what's going to happen in the plot, flip through that source book, and then I see one picture. It's like, that's a cool scene. You open and, up the player's handbook for 5th edition D&D, and you're like, I'm going to make a very special ranger. Yes, we're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a very special episode of D&D about learning to accept... <laughs> The Ranger on page 133 or whatever it is. <laughs> but I I look through that art and I have a very similar experience to what you do with the minis. Yeah. Of either saying, you know, this would be a cool concept or maybe even I start trying to work out what led up to this. What is the context of this? And these little vignettes start forming in my yeah. head that become these scenes that I, I find some place to plug into the plot. And it's a, it's a great inspiration for me because, and I guess also on top of that, it just sort of puts you in that mindset, right? Right. You're, you're there following somebody else's hooks and ideas and examples, which in this case are it's art, it's minis, it's whatever, but it's still in that same genre. So you're, you're immersed, yeah. but it's not within your own swimming pool. You're a little bit in somebody else's pool. When I want something creepy, the first thing I do is I go grab a deck of magic cards and I start looking at the art. Hmm. I have been inspired for creepy, scary things from magic cards multiple times. 
Yeah, I agree. Art art is also an excellent opportunity for, or an excellent avenue to pursue for inspiration. So I was once inspired by a trope that I hated. I either watched a movie or I read a comic, because I see this trope all over the place. And it's one of those where there was an alternate reality created, and somebody comes and gathers people because they're the one that knows things are different, and all the heroes just rally around to help change the world back to the way it was. I got that trope, and I thought, okay... What would that really be like? Someone comes to you and says, your world isn't the right world. My world's the right world. You're not just going to right away say, okay, let's fix it. More than likely, you're going to say, fuck you. This <laughs> right. is my world. Yeah, yeah. It, well, I guess it kind of depends on how things are going for me in the other world. And Because so- like if in the other world, like I'm some multimillionaire and have superpowers and I have the toxin symbiote and all this great stuff going on. I'm married to Power Girl then look, I'm just going to be right up with you. I'm going to go kill the me in the other world and take his place. That's just going to happen. That's a thing. I made the whole campaign about that moment and showing the players what their lives were like in the other world. Some of them were better. Some of them were worse. One of them was dead in the other world. And all these different things, in some cases, was better. I wanted it to be a tough decision. Not just, we're going to get on board and change the world back. It's like, I'm not going to get on board because I'm going to be dead. The only thing I saw that I thought did that plausibly well, and this was expounded upon in what I believe to be one of the most underrated movies of the past couple decades. And the concept that I'm talking about here is how DC Comics handled past tense. I think they've changed it now, but handled our Earth, the one that we occupy. We are not an Earth One, we are an Earth Prime. And part of the way they did that was all the other Earths represent the stories and the imagination of Earth Prime. And so Earth Prime is sort of the well from which all these ideas flow. Superman exists in Earth One and Earth Two and and however many others he exists in because of the fact that he was first imagined in Earth Prime. And so now you have a metaphysical argument as to why Earth Prime, our world, really is the one true world. And all these other things are simply permutations or imaginings of this world. They even make reference to that in the one where it was the uh, storyline and then also the main animated movie where they cross over to like a dark version of the world where I think James Wood voiced Batman's alternate version. Was it not... Owl Man was it Owl Man? I think yeah, he was Owl Man, yeah. but yeah, they they kind of made him the Dark Batman. And the thing that he was trying to do was he had figured out that our Earth, Earth Prime, was the source of all of these universes. And the setup of it was he was trying to destroy the real Earth to put an end to all the other realities. Because he's like, if I destroy these other realities, as long as that one exists, it keeps on going. And where I saw this expounded upon in terms of chasing those ideas, and once again, what I think is an underrated movie because of some of the ideas it explores, even if I'll admit it's wrapped in a lot of cheese, is Last Action Hero. And for anyone who's not familiar with Last Action Hero, the setup of the movie is that there's a kid who's, let's say, somewhere in his teens. I'm not exactly sure. Junior high age, maybe young high school. And he is really into the movies. And there's an all but abandoned theater where there's some old guy who gets these reels and and the kid and the old man just share their love of movies and whatever. The kid ends up with a magic ticket, you know, the 
I don't know, kind of like a... Willy Wonka's golden ticket? Yes. Except it's actually magical. So instead of just being special, it allows him to enter the movie. And so he goes into an Arnold Schwarzenegger action flick where all the tropes of the action flick are 100% real. And that's their reality. All phone numbers are 555. There is bad guys hiding in every closet every time the guy comes home. The comic relief can't get hurt. It's all these tropes of the action movies are 100% real. Uh, Even down to, at one point, the kid's like, okay, we're in this episode of your movie series. You know, we're in whatever, movie three. He's like, in this one, your ex-wife doesn't appear. Let's call her. And they can't. But but Schwarzenegger's convinced his is the real reality, right? That his, but he's like, let's find her, let's talk to her. And he can't do it, and he's like, this is a PG thirteen movie. And so he writes the F word on a note card, and he's like, read this aloud. And he's like, I'm not doing that. He's like, because you can't do it because it's a PG thirteen movie. You don't have that freedom of will. But there's this point where Schwarzenegger's character makes it back to the real world. He comes out of the other side of the screen, makes it back to our real world and realizes how dark and gruesome it is that when he gets shot, it's not this cool thing of he's bleeding out and has this last hurrah. No, it's the scene where he's strapped to a gurney in the back of an ambulance and they're not sure he's going to make it. And it's this really tense scene and he encounters the actor, Arnold Schwarzenegger. So the character from the movie who's played by Arnold Schwarzenegger encounters the actor, Arnold Schwarzenegger at some kind of like award ceremony or premiere or something. And when he walks up to him, he's like, I hate you because you have ruined my life. He's like, you know, my life is a total endless disaster of tragedy and violence because of the stories that you tell. But it explores that idea of, of what it's like, even if you can determine yours is the true reality that doesn't necessarily make you the hero of the story. And in fact, the real world is a terrible place. And there's this really neat scene. And I don't care that I'm spoiling this. This was like from the 1990s. If you haven't seen this, that's on you. But there's this really neat scene where the villain from uh, Brother Noomsy from The Golden Child or Tywin Lannister from Game of Thrones. I will completely take your word for that. The guy with the constantly changing prosthetic yeah, yeah. eye. Yeah, that's, didn't he also, that's, that's Brother Noomsy. Didn't he also play the guy from the EPA and Ghostbusters? Uh, I don't know. But I, okay, maybe he did. Maybe he looks like him, whether it's the same guy or not. But when he realizes the world's different is in the movie, if he shoots somebody, it's a big deal. Everything gets dramatic and, you know, you killed somebody and this requires response and there's justice. And he ends up in the streets of New York. Once again, 1990s, New York is a really, really dangerous place, far more dangerous than it is today. And he's standing somewhere between a bunch of high rises and he takes out a gun and just shoots a random guy dead in the street and looks around and realizes nobody cares. And he even's like, I shot a man. He's dead. He's bleeding right here. And you just hear somebody in the apartment yell, shut the hell up, buddy. I'm trying to get some sleeve. And he suddenly realizes, like, this is what I've always wanted. <laughs> a place where I can do terrible things and nobody even registers that it occurred. And my, my point being here, though, Wayne, going back to all this, is that those alternate reality stories, even when you have, I think, a moral or metaphysical or ontological or whatever argument as to why yours is the correct reality, 
doesn't mean yours is the better reality. And even if you know that another you is in a better place, that still means you go away if you change it over. Yeah. That you gets to go live the better world. That's not you. Well, that's why I'd have to kill him and take his place. Exactly. I mean, it's me. So, and I'm not dead. So it's not suicide. And because of me, it's not really murder. I mean, morally, I guess I'm okay with this. I would totally kill another me. Like, if you clone me, I would totally kill that thing. It'd be hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Uh, The only me I've ever wanted to kill is me. (laughs) Well, right. And and that's suicidal. And for that, Brodo, we need to get, we need to make sure you stay on your medications and then get your help. Right. That's a terrible thing. No, I'm not suggesting suicide. I'm suggesting, I don't know, we need a new name for this. Autocide? Well, what do you call it when you kill you that's not you? I, I don't know. I don't have a word for this yet. I, Tuesday? It's gonna drive Tuesday. me it's gonna drive me crazy because this is gonna be a complete a completely poorly delivered story because there's a movie with uh Nicholas Brendan from Buffy. It's a more recent film, but basically it's about precisely this sort of thing. There's a comet and there's all these alternate realities. And the as the movie unfolds, the main character, she realizes that there are these alternate realities that they keep kind of stumbling into through the course of this dinner party. And she ends up killing herself in another reality. Spoiler alert. Because she realizes that her relationship with her fiance is better in that reality than it is in the reality that she comes from. And oh. she loves him and she wants that reality. See, I'm down with yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's me. And if I come from the prime earth, which I'm totally convinced I do, whether it's true or not, you know, this is the source of all realities. If there are like other universes getting shed from our realities, our choice, I am the one. Like, I guess you go back to the prestige. I am the one guy who always lives through every split. I love that movie so much. As a, you that, know, that's a very it's, controversial it's, opinion. It is one of my favorite movies of all time. I've never seen it. It's it's bizarre. It's so so. I love stage magic. Yeah, I love magic. I love magic tricks, and the whole movie basically breaks down a magic trick. But the movie itself is a series of magic it's, tricks. Imagine this weird overlap between. Harry Houdini and Twilight Zone. It's a very bizarre it's movie. Brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. But okay, so other topic for the day, gaming topic. <laughs> I have no idea what we just talked about there. But we talked about sweet ass Velma with a chainsaw. <laughs> okay. So I mean I thought I've been a Daphne guy, but Yeah, you know, okay. So oh, no, I'm all for hot Velma. Well, all right, but let, let's all right, if we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this right. Not hot Velma, like not all the reinterpretations done for cosplay and spinoff art as appearing in the cartoon. All right. Velma or Daphne? Daphne. Oh, as appearing in the cartoon, Daphne. Okay. I was just curious. All right. Okay. So I'm the only one going to Scooby. Barbara. (laughs) Barbara Eden or Elizabeth Montgomery. Genie or Bewitched. Ooh, because I, I don't I'm, know. I'm an Elizabeth Montgomery Bewitched fan myself. I, without Googling, I don't know. It's been too long since I've seen either show. I, I don't know. I'm, I would go Bewitched. Yeah. So, all right. Topic for today. Uh, once again, if you're not caught up on the Skies of Glass actual play, get through episode 13. Or if you don't care about spoilers, roll right along with us. Or if you've already heard it, roll right along with us. But we're going to talk about something that happened in that game. Because in the game that we're going to be having two days after this recording, I have to start dealing with one consequence in particular of that action. All right, so here we go with the spoilers. Brodor's character, Joe, 
is dead. All right. right, which is bullshit because I read Wicked River, which I thought was a get-out-of-death-free card. No, it's the opposite. That's that, a guaranteed death. <laughs> well, on top of that, that's flattering Chad. He's the one who's obsessed yeah. with Wicked River. Yeah, you don't me. remember Eric's story. Yeah, no, the person true. that does the research is the one whose character dies. Well, it's dead, then Chad's f***ed. <laughs> yeah, he may be. It, it depends on what he does. But he may very well be. All right, but so here's the issue that I have to deal with. And this is something where I partially painted myself into a corner by accident, and I partially did it with my eyes absolutely wide open. And I'm not going to back down from it. I'm going to go with it. But the conundrum is that when we set up the Sky as a Glass game, we spent several games or game sessions on game prep where we talked about who's playing what, how do they fit together. There's a very strong relationship between the characters. You have shared history. You have a shared home and Herman. There's all these things that tie the characters together. We work through personalities. We work through events in your past, goals that you have. We were completely, wonderfully FTB 9000 compliant in terms of how we set the game up. And I suppose to prove something we've theorized about for a long time, which is we'd have better games if we actually followed our own advice, we have demonstrated that to be true because we followed our own advice. And so far, knock on wood, we're having an outstanding game. And if we don't, even if the game explodes or implodes, that's great show content. I guess that's how I got to look at things. But Joe, which is Brodor's character, is now dead. And so we obviously want to replace him. So we don't want Brodor gone from the game. Since we have not established an NPC that was there waiting in the wings, paranoia clone style, to be the next iteration of Brodor in the world, we now have to try and figure out precisely who Brodor is going to play, which gave Brodor one of two options. And I'm going to let Brodor talk to why before I talk about the fallout this creates for me as the GM. The choice was you could either take an established and integrated NPC, so someone who's already a member of the party, Casey, Emily, Dr. Marshall, Alejandro, somebody who's already there in the party and would already be something of a known quantity and trusted individual. Or you could play someone that is, and I'm going to put these in the same category because at least in terms of the issue I'm talking about, it works out about the same. Either a completely new character or a character who's an established NPC, but not one that has been much of a known quantity. So a side character, a bit character. Because once again, those really are going to play out about the same, because in both cases, the party does not have an established relationship. So, Border, I want to pause here first and ask you, why did you choose to go the route of the latter? To take a character that is existing in the setting, that's an established NPC, but not a well-established one, not one that the party has really any relationship with. So for two reasons. One, those NPCs have already been established. There are They are people that Lee and Philip and Motamar already know. So they have attitudes, mannerisms, and behaviors that you, Dan, portraying them have already established. And so I did not want to have to fill those shoes and have challenges of deviating from behaviors and attitudes that had already been established. But number two, those are yours. Those are Dan's characters, right? And I want it to be Brodor's character. 
And so if I have somebody who is a very faintly or vaguely established character, then I can really run with it and make it mine. And there aren't going to be any expectations or, or fewer expectations and fewer preconceived notions about who or what that character is. Now, I think that my version of Ma Carver is going to be absolutely f***ing baller, but... <laughs> You're not playing. That <laughs> but, is a joke. He's not yeah, playing Ma Carver. <laughs> well, Dan's just saying that because Wayne's in the room and Chad... Well, Chad's never going to listen to this episode. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, my Ma Carver, I mean, I'm literally... I'm going to have a bloodstained black leather apron, a meat cleaver in one hand, and a fillet knife in the other, and I'm going to truly carve shit. But... <laughs> that was a prior Ma Carver. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I completely get that because I feel the same way. If my character dies or if he somehow, if we reach a point where he leaves the, the story for any reason, I wouldn't want to take an established NPC for the same reason. I feel like that already has a voice. That's not my voice. That is Dan's character. It's part of the world, but it's, I don't want to live up to that. I want to have right. my own voice. I want to define the character's voice. That's already defined. Right. And you put it better and much more succinctly than I did. By just referring to it as its voice. Is it because you're worried that Chad would make you sing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've always wanted to be a lounge singer. Uh-huh. And, I mean, I'm a terrible singer, but you get a few scotches in me and I don't care. Yeah. You know, Berner, you, you did get something done, though. So, for anyone who's not following the actual play, there's an NPC in there named Casey who's a pit fighter who's supposed to be, and is, I guess, within the context of the world, the person in the party who has the highest body count, who's, I mean, that's what he did, was until he got set free, was he killed people in a, a combination of politics and gladiatorial combat. And do you realize that in the time you played him, that was the first time in the actual execution of the game he has killed anyone? Right. And he did it with panache. He did. I think it's the first time he's even actually seriously injured anyone. Was when that was under your control. Truthfully, the conversation that you and I had at the end of the last game when everybody had left and it was just the two of us, the original NPC idea that you pitched to me, I immediately gravitated to because there's a lot of really intriguing story opportunity there. Right. And there is an opportunity for there's a lot of good reason for that NPC to ingratiate themselves with and to join the party, I think makes a lot of sense. But I also think for the story, going back and not being someone who's an established member of the crew, then there's going to be a lot of debate and consternation about who's in charge of the boat and the direction that the party is going to go. And you're not just going to immediately look to me, Brodor, the player, to assume the role as captain of the vine. In fact, I like the fact that I'm going to be someone, and this is not too much of a spoiler, that I'm going to be a relative outsider and not have say on the ship. I'm excited about watching the group dynamic in that regard. Yeah, and that's one of the first things I was going to mention is, one of the challenges I have to take on with this is I have to be sure to give you the opportunity to play a different voice. I don't want this to be a bland character or a repackaging of a character so similar to Joe. It's being an NPC, I'm going to have to predefine some things for you. But what I intend to do with those is nudge you in a different direction, but then still leave a lot of blanks 
where I'm going to say, okay, I want you to tell me what this personality trait is or what this phobia is or whatever I come up with because of the fact that I want you to personalize and interpret the character, but I have to set up the character just enough to make sure that this character is not going to be Joe version two. Right. But is also, well, I'm going to hold my second point for a minute because that's a completely different topic. But so that's, that's my first challenge. So I don't mean to get all politician thumb on you. You know, politicians do that thing where they curl their index finger around the end of their yeah, thumb. Because it's pointing without pointing. Right. Because pointing at someone looks ignorant. Yeah. So, so yeah, you... politician thumb, I did not mean to do that to you. But, and in, in this is going to be slightly spoilery, potentially. And so if we need to have, I should cut it out in editing, fine. But the character that I'm going to adopt has their persona publicly, and then they have potentially a different persona. And so you've established public persona. And so I can take that and run with it because that is the known quantity, but the non-public persona is something that I can really own and make my own inside the parameters that you establish for me away from the table. One thing I've thought about is if I have, if I have to create a new character at some point, we have NPCs that we've never named or defined. The boat has a crew. Yeah, We've only named, I think, two of them out of the entire crew. Out of the six-man general crew. General crew. Only one has been named. That's Jalandra. The yeah. other five, yeah. they yeah. have no names. We've not specified name, gender, race, age, anything about them. They just exist. I would be seriously tempted to take one of those as that's why he's on the ship and create the character from that because... It gives a little bit of that buy-in of they already know the character. Right. Even though we've never seen the character, it's not like the person is brand new. So, all right. My, my next thing I got to tackle here is, and this is the second part of what I was just talking about with you need, number one, a different voice. But number two, I also have to be sure that this character is compatible with the group. I have to be sure that the personality, the aims, the background. And I, I realize you can't engineer friendship and all that kind of stuff. I do trust my players enough to say they're going to cut us some slack, right? They're going to try and make the player character work, but I do still need to create and you need to create enough stuff there that it will likely work. And the best way I've come up with to do that is to do a one-sided non-collaborative reading of the group template to take that group template and say, okay, what is it that we've established holds this party together and moves this party in the same direction He's and, dead. And, <laughs> and we need to make sure that this character aligns with those things, at least generally. I mean, maybe not perfectly, but at least it generally aligns with those things. So it's not going to be an immediate source of disruption. So one other thing to consider as you go through this character, I remember my first <laughs> guys... Just go through this character. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> but Sky's a Glass, it could happen. Yeah. My first guys a Glass game... I knew nothing about the setting. I was coming in and the group was already going. Unlike you, you've been here since the beginning of the game. You know what the group you know, is like. You know what's going on. My first character had no reason to stick with the, the group because every, they were all younger than him. He had, he had his own horse. That was huge. He has a horse. They don't have a horse. They have no resources. And that became one of the questions for one of the other players. He had a hard time accepting, why would this person give up an established life to come join us. 
you know, why after this one adventure is over, is he going to stick around? So that's something that I, I've taken away from that game for any future characters is why would this character still be there after the situation that brings the character in? It's, it's interesting that you bring that up because that point I think is going to happen for me as a player with my new character, because I think I'm going to have legitimate reason to attach myself to the party. Initially, it's the long term that's going to take not a tremendous amount of effort to shoehorn, but I think that it's going to be a little bit choppier water to navigate. If you'll excuse the, yeah, well, and I've got some ideas already. For example, I'm going to do quite a bit to make sure your character doesn't have a lot of outside ties. Mm -hmm. And so you don't have competing loyalties. You're going to have reason to socially bond with the group. You're going to have aims that align with theirs. In terms of personality, I'm going to leave that much more up to you. Since this established NPC, I have to write some of this character. But something else that I intend to do is, and I want to phrase this carefully because I think that this is, open to misinterpretation, if not taken its proper context. But I think I have to do some things to show your character as having some kind of purpose and context in the group. And and I'm struggling to phrase this right, because once again, I think it's really open to misinterpretation, that if I was to say I'm going to create a focus game where this is an episode about your character, That's not correct, because I think that would be hampus and unfair to the other players. I do have to create certain plot elements that at least give you a chance to find the character's voice, to reveal the character's, well, character, and to give the other players a chance to understand who this person is and build some relationships. Relationships are built through shared experience. And if there are no shared experiences or you are so uncertain of the character's voice that you're second guessing and kind of making some false starts on jumping in, that's not going to coalesce. Right. But ultimately, and again, you know, this is relatively spoiler free content, but what you have established for who this character is, the common goal, the common motivation the common, although the party doesn't know it, the common experiences or at least common relationships that this person ultimately those things will get revealed through gameplay will give me as a player reason and motivation to to be with the party. And as those kernels are revealed, it's going to give the party reason and motivation to keep me around. And so those things hopefully will be enough for us to bond and establish common experiences. And so that when those issues are resolved, when those story threads are all neatly clipped and tied together, I still stay with the party and they still want me around. Is there any issue with situation of the current game? We are in with the ists. We are not out on the boat. If I, I don't, I have no idea what character Brodor had chose, but let's say he would have chosen an NPC that we met in St. Louis that would have no reason to be in with the Ists. How would you have dealt with that when we're far away from where the character would be? I, so can I tell him that I'm going to play Cyrus Weiss and basically I'm going to be, I'm going to be an amalgamation of Philip and Lee. <laughs> Jeez, 
you're not playing Cyrus Weiss. So damn it! Every time I pick a character, you tell me no because <laughs> you've already. All right, now well, it's like let me play the Gray Lady. You're like no, Duchess. <laughs> you're not playing Duchess. Uh, but let, let's say for a moment you had picked Cyrus Weiss. All mm-hmm. right, no, I can't give you Cyrus Weiss because that's actually a background PC. Speaking of people who are going to get ham fisted, so Cyrus Weiss, no. All right, but let's say you had, and let's say that had been a viable option. All right, so let's say we go on with that. Because Cyrus Weiss is not done. You are going to see more of him in the game as it goes forward. And, I mean, if nothing else, he's with your boat. So you're going to see him again. Right. But let's say that you had chosen him. He's not in the scene. All right. Now, there are things I could do to get him in the scene faster. For example, realizing you guys are in danger. It is totally within the personality of Emily in particular to just sort of take control of the situation and mount some kind of a, a rescue effort on you guys from the is. I love Emily. And so that could bring Cyrus into the picture a lot more quickly. But what do I do until something like that happens? Or let's say, Wayne, to your example, somebody in St. Louis that has no reason to be down there. I cannot come up with any plausible reason why they would be there. I think what that would have put me in a position of doing is I would have sat down with Broder and said, okay, you've picked a character that I can totally integrate, but not for a while. And so we're going to get this character in. I'm going to do it as quickly as I can. But in the meantime, for the sake of not breaking the story's coherence, you know, I'm willing to hand wave, but only to a point that you're going to have to play somebody else until I can bring this character around. As a player, and I know this might not necessarily be a popular opinion for the group or, or the audience, I would be happy to sit there quietly and listen and take notes on the game and just be here to hang out and listen to the game until my new character could be brought into the party. I don't think I would allow that for two reasons. Uh, One, it is socially a bit awkward to have somebody sitting there silently. But secondly, four is a good number for a game in terms of players. I think with three, the group dynamic and the social dynamic would start to diminish to the point that I worry that the game would lag, that it would sort of lose some of that energy. And on top of that, they would start to cement a new social dynamic that doesn't include a character played by you. You know, that it's basically you have this this triangular relationship and it doesn't have the dynamics that a four person relationship would have. But it's cemented now. That's what they've been is, I mean, where we pick up at the start of the next game is it's four buddies going along. So one of them's dead and there's an open question and pun totally intended an open wound there, an emotional (laughs) one, but also a physical one. But that now has to get worked out. And I would hate for that to heal without you being part of that. And so even if it wasn't the character you were ultimately going to play, I would insist that you play an NPC or something just to keep that dynamic moving, even if it's only a metagame dynamic of not letting Chad, Wayne, and Eric subconsciously close that triangle off. Yeah, and that definitely makes sense to me. Plus, then you could just give him a red shirt and make sure you get to kill him again. Are you kidding? <laughs> if that was the case, I totally want to play the ist that is fully Team Motomar. 
that are like, oh, come on, son, you did it. This is going to be great. We're going to get back. We're going to change things. We're going to make it fun again. Oh, you know? yeah. I will be honest. I had been wondering if that was the character you picked. <laughs> Motomar knows not who he is just got a devil's bargain with. Because what he's got a devil's bargain with is somebody who is from the political party of the original Maw Carver, Mm -hmm. who's crazy but in a very different way. This is not someone who's hallucinating and delusional. This is someone who really is just a psychopath and gets off on the violence. Doesn't have any delusion to it. Doesn't have, once again, some... They're not baked in the head in that way. This is someone who, with clear eyes, is doing this violence. Right. Well, he didn't drink the magic water. Nope. And Philip realizes that. Yeah. Just, his goal is not stay with them. Yeah. Doesn't care what happens with them. It's. I'll tell you, Sheriff, you guys may have. Yeah. You may have defeated the evil that you have beef with. But in the process, you have empowered the greater of the two evils. Yeah. Because at least the other one was... Good job, Philip. (laughs) But we'll save that for the what happens in the next game. Let's not talk it out. Let's play it out. So uh, from the raw recording of this, it'll be on a couple days, maybe a week tops before the next episode of the AP drops. By the time this thing actually goes edited, so if you're listening to it in the primary stream, Next AP should be out there, ap.feartheboot.com. No W's, just ap.feartheboot.com. And check out what, by that point, is probably going to be Skies of Glass episode 14. So, once again, show notes for the Con Planner link for Fear of the Con 11. Let's get those games started. i got to start figuring out what I'm going to participate I've, in, what I've I'm going to run. I've got three games that I'm going to run. I know, and i got to figure out which it's of them nuts. I'm going to play so, well, I think you're already going to play in my Dread game. Yes, I'm absolutely plan. playing your Dread game. So, thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2017. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy Network of Shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.